I'm super happy to finally launch this podcast. It has been incoming for a very long time. And a lot of people asked, where are you? Where have you been? Why are you not posting? And this is why. Because I've been uh, not wanting to do what I was doing before and do something more authentic where I can express myself and connect with amazing people who can share their stories. So this is officially episode number two of the Rich Inside podcast. It's been a long time that I've been wanting to do this podcast and we have today a very special guest, Etienne Claret, expedition filmmaker. He's uh, went and adventured around the world with some of the most impressive people like Le Grand Gidet, like Mike Horn, like Pat, who's not an adventurer, but also a crazy adventurer. And uh, Etienne, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. It's amazing because I not only know you as the crazy adventurer, but you're also a friend. <laughs> and um, and we have, we've had the chance to work together. And when I hear those stories you talk about, I'm like, what the fuck? How do you actually do this? How do you get inside an active volcano and survive for 24 hours? How do you get stuck in the Antarctic for 33 days and survive? How do you shoot a sleeping polar bear from just 10 meters away? My question for you is what drives you to do these extremely crazy risks? How, how do you do it? Um, so most of the time it's actually calculated risks. <laughs> so it's not like as crazy as it might seem in the stories. But of course it's, you know, it's, t it's just, I think, the love of capturing amazing things that not a lot of people get to see. I'm like very, very fortunate and grateful to be able to live from my job. And it's just what drives me is to be able to access those places, document it in a way that's like barely been done before and then just share it with my friends first and then with the rest <laughs> of the world, hopefully. <laughs> I've seen some of the pictures you took. And there's a picture of, uh, picture of the sleeping polar bear, which is actually in this book. And uh, we'll show it in the, in, the, in the video. But like, aren't you afraid to, to be 10 meters away from a polar bear? <laughs> I'm more excited than afraid. <laughs> and <laughs> when I said it's cal calculated, it's because you, you kind of feel those things, you know, it's, it's controlled. Like we wouldn't go to a polar bear that's super, uh, you know, excited and seems angry. It's just like he seems peaceful, so we go closer and closer. And if he stays peaceful, then we can just keep on going. And he fell asleep in the end, so it means that he he feel he he didn't feel you know in danger, and us neither. <laughs> How did it feel like taking that picture just when he was in front of you? It's amazing. I I, I think you don't realize it at first, like what you're witnessing, because the the polar bear is so special and rare that even just stand, standing in front of one is just you know amazing or seeing one from far is just amazing and now having the opportunity to go and go closer and closer and closer is just a feeling that's not even like I cannot even describe it it's just amazing and then you see that picture and i think it's when i edited the picture on my computer that you really uh, realize like the moment that you just lived. It's hard to with like to to get it when you're living it. It's afterwards always that you're like, wow, <laughs> it's crazy. And and this adventure you went on with Mike Horn, right? Yeah, correct. And um, you also had a crazy story where you were stuck 33 days um, in the middle of the Arctic. Tell yeah. us more about that. 
So that was actually, it's quite a big story, but that was actually my first expedition, really. So I had, I used to work with Pat, a famous half-pipe snowboarder and musician. And then this led me to the opportunity to work with Mike Horn uh, and his daughters. And then I, they called me basically when I, when I was in Japan and said, Etienne, we know uh, your work. And now Mike is leaving like, to do his biggest expedition in two weeks. We don't have any filmmaker. Would you be, would you be keen to join and film it? Oh. And <laughs> I didn't really, really think because I knew that the opportunity was once in a lifetime. And so I just said yes and then figured out how to go from Japan to Switzerland to Alaska in the next five days <laughs> and then leave from Alaska to an adventure that I didn't even know really anything about. Mm. The brief was very <laughs> not so detailed. <laughs> it was very brief. <laughs> but I said, yeah, just go. Like it's, it's once in a lifetime, really. So I went, came back to Switzerland uh, changed my shorts for a big parka and a <laughs> puffy jacket. Imagine and going to, to Alaska with shorts. <laughs> <laughs> and then just went to Alaska to a small town uh, named Nome. No. Northwest of Alaska. And that's basically where I met Mike, where I saw his sailing boat, Pangea, for the first time. And I didn't have much information still so we went on the boat we met with Mike and the rest of the crew that all came together at the same time in Nome and like slowly slowly day by day we had a bit more information but you could see that the goal was very clear so the goal was basically to bring Mike to 85 degrees north oh. with his sailing boat and then drop him off so he could start the North Pole crossing on skis uh, so that was our goal. But the way to get there wasn't really clear, you know. <laughs> it was We knew that we had a boat and we knew the destination, but what's in between, we didn't know anything about really. And most of us never like sailed or even less sailed in the ice. This is very specific. But he that's one of Mike, I think, biggest powers is, is that he gets to put together an amazing bunch of humans that aspire to the same thing. So it made it pretty easy. And like, that's what, why we didn't think about it because we knew that it was, everybody was amazing and wanted to reach that goal. So we were just getting there without really knowing, but we were going to try and do our best. And going there with Mike Horn, which is a, a crazy name and even a legend in the expedition world, how did it feel like having to drop him off, right? And then coming back and getting stuck. So w what did you feel then when you got stuck? Was it like, oh shit, we're going to die? Or was it more like, oh shit, we got to figure this out or we die? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's more like, of course, we needed to figure it out ourselves because mm. nobody was coming to help us. Mm. But then at the same time, it was, you know, it was a silly situation, but it was safe in a way uh, where the boat had enough fuel, so it was more or less warm inside. And there wasn't really any danger because the boat was ice resistant, so we couldn't sink or anything else. It was just a matter of staying here for a month or staying here for 
five months and go out after winter. <laughs> <laughs> but basically the story is that we dropped off Mike. Yeah. So this was a success. Two weeks sailing in the ice, a, like a maze uh, with an amazing crew. Someone was on the mast shouting the direction to the guy like driving the boat and crazy conditions. Uh, so we went through the ice during two weeks to drop Mike off and then out of the ice and then sailed halfway around the, wor- around the world to Svalbard, mm. two more weeks. Then I came back home two months and then went back to get Mike at the end of his expedition, which was, I think, the toughest he's done. So we needed to basically go to him more or less so that, had, so that he could get back on the boat and then back to the normal civilization. Uh, and that's in that part that we had some trouble because we went into the ice, but it was December. So it's oh. beginning of winter. The ice is getting thicker and thicker and thicker. Oh. So it's very hard uh, to just sail in the ice. It's mm. fully dark, no lights. Uh, so it's very hard. And especially because the ship we had wasn't a nice breaker. So mm. it, it breaks a bit of ice, but it doesn't break like five meters of ice. Uh. So as soon as you en- encounter five meters of ice, then you're basically stuck. Shit. <laughs> the, the ship is just like on the ice, but it mm. doesn't. <laughs> there's not not enough power to st- still go. So that's what happened to us. One time, then we got out. Two times, then we got out again. And then we kept on going, but then suddenly it was eight meters of ice. So wow. the ship was just standing on, on that ice, not enough power to go out. And basically the only solution was to break the ice around the, the boat to hope, hope and loosen the pressure a bit mm. or wait. I mean, both at the same time, we had to wait and yeah. break the ice. So we just started like every day, go out, break the ice around the boat and then sleep and then go out the next morning and the ice in the arctic is is really like a treadmill so it moves all the time oh shit so the work that we've done the past days most of the time would be uh like closed again because the ice like the the ice would collide and then just bring more pressure to the boat but we kept on going breaking ice breaking ice breaking ice each day (laughs) and we're starting doing bigger and bigger a trench every day to reach the water to help and loosen the pressure a bit. And then 33 days later, it finally worked. <laughs> and what happened on the um, 30th day? Because uh, it's pretty impressive what happened and then how you got out. Because I know the story, I've heard it, but for the people that didn't know, what happened that's so magical about the 30th day? So we ended up spending Christmas on the boat, with, which was very very weird for all for all of us because it was supposed to be only five days more or mm. less so two days in take mike and burge and then two days out so it was now 30 days later <laughs> and still here so we spent christmas there with a bunch of humans we that didn't know each other yeah and then there's a very special thing that happened is that there's two like three polar bears that came to the boat uh mom and her two cubs came to the boat and were just curious about what the fuck is a ship doing <laughs> here in winter. You know, they don't see ships in winter. 
So they stayed around the boat for like two, three hours. It was so close to us again, maybe 10 meters. And we were totally in a safe space because the boat is like five meters high from the ice. So we could just stare at them. They were staring at us. It's so special because it's, uh, again, it's a moment that it's impossible, you know, to witness that kind of moment. It's impossible to live that kind of moment. And being so close in a, you know, outside in a situation like this, and it, we perceived it as a sign of hope because it yeah. was we didn't see anything for 30 days. There's no, there's nothing to see. It's only ice and then dark. <laughs> so that was the first thing that we we saw. It was just amazing. I love the fact I was reading your book Fire and Ice, which is a, a great, great, great book about all your adventures across four years, right? Yeah. And you said. Um, a quote that really impressed on me. You said, when you're um, in the middle of nature, uh, like the Arctic or like the or, or like Antarctic, where there's literally no uh, less humans, <laughs> which usually means more peaceful. <laughs> yeah. But um, where you're where you're in uh, pure nature, that's where you uh, really find peace. Mm -hmm. Why did you say that? I think it's because. So first, and I think that's the most obvious, is because you don't have internet access. <laughs> it, it's it might be you know cheesy, but it makes a big difference because mm. I feel like as soon as I left for those kind of places, it's like if you don't have any problems anymore. It's like you just go, and your only aim is to leave that adventure. Mm. There's nothing else that matters. It's just go there and leave the adventure. Be present and, you know, take everything that you can because you know it's so precious. It's so tough to go there. It's uh. so, like, what you're going to live is so precious. So I think you get in that mental state that just says, just be here. That There's nothing else to do. So that's, I think, why I'm so peaceful when I'm there. Uh. It's because you know that it's precious. So you don't, there's not any other solution either than being present. I love that. <laughs> I love that because in, in today's society, um, everyone is so anxious and so stressed and always on their phone. And uh, me and Pat were talking about this, that like, holy shit, bro, when you delete Instagram and you actually live, life is so much better. Mm -hmm. And you enjoy everything more. Mm -hmm. And you, you're with someone and you're actually with them. It's not like you're there and you, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> no, you're actually there and you listen. Yeah. And... Um, and I think when you go in nature, you have no other choice but then to be present. Yeah. And especially in those extreme conditions where you're either in, in an active volcano and every moment counts or stuck in ice in the middle of nowhere where if you don't get yourself out, then... Nobody's going to so do it. Do you feel like those yeah. extreme conditions help you to be more present? Yeah, definitely. Because as well, you have to be really involved and focused in what you do. So it, it's, it takes all of your brain power <laughs> in, in a way. So that's it helps for sure, yeah. And I think coming back to what you said on Instagram, I think right. it's a tough balance for creators like us to yeah. find because sometimes I want to delete Instagram <laughs> as well. I did it a couple of times for some months. And then you feel guilty in a way because it's like if you're missing a, on that Instagram opportunity to grow mm. and have more fans and blah, blah, blah. So it's, uh, I think it's a tough balance to find like 
How do you manage this? It's like a double-edged sword because if you use it for good and you use it to inspire like you do, like I do, like Pat does now, um, then it becomes like you're doing it for good. Yeah. But when you use it just to scroll and to mindlessly just, and it brain fogs you and then you're, you lose your focus, then here it hurts you. Yeah. So it depends how you use it then. Yeah, so. true. You talk a lot about fire and ice and you say that um, ice is where the earth was born and fire is where the earth is going to probably destruct itself. Yeah, the other way around. But oh, yeah. the other way yeah. around? Okay. So yeah. so yeah, I'm not that good at it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I love that because your book talks about this. Mm -hmm. And um, you've experienced both. Yeah. You've extre experienced extreme cold and extreme heat. Now, if we delve into the extreme heat and the Nicar Nicaragua story with uh, Le Grand Gide, um, how was that experience? And how the fuck did you survive 24 hours <laughs> inside an active volcano? No, so again, it, it was controlled. Like there's, there's not much to really like be careful about. It's pretty, it's extreme, but you can survive pretty easily. Yeah. And then it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just amazing going there as well because it's so unique and you literally witness Earth being born because the mm. magma goes out and it's, and you see the lava and you feel the heat and like there's a lot of different emotions going around and some, like some stuff you feel so it's really unique and <laughs> i mean it's just i'm also very fortunate because i have some crazy friends that now that <laughs> invite me to do those crazy <laughs> things what did you do when you got that phone call um etienne do you want to come to a, to a inside a volcano what did you think what is the first thought that came to mind when you heard that it's always yes <laughs> always yes and then yeah. then you start thinking a bit but i mean it's like, it's not as if we're going to die, you know, I don't... <laughs> you don't get afraid when... I know you're a risk taker, right? And you've gone to extreme conditions. But there's no little bit of fear of like, oh shit, what if it does erupt? What if we do get stuck and we can't get out? There's no fear? Not really, because I feel like fear is something that might, you know, paralyze you. Mm. Uh, so I tend not to fear too much and as well... Like, if it happens, then it happens, you know. Yeah. It, it is how it's meant to be. It's like when we're skiing in Antarctica, there's a lot of crevasses, obviously. But you get roped up, which is the first, like, safety, not to fall into a crevasse. Then you're super careful where you go. You, you, you like, watch a lot the glacier and try to understand where to go. So there's a lot of measures that prevent it. And then if it still happens, then, I mean... That's how bad it was luck, meant bad. to be. Bad luck. Bad luck. <laughs> we talked about the stuck in the Arctic, our Arctic, and we realized that here it was a game of, of uh, perseverance and hope, yeah. right? And luck too, because at the end, the, the currents change and yeah. you got out because of that too and because you worked hard. Yeah. Now, then we talked about the surviving 24 hours inside an active volcano. How, how did it feel being inside a barbecue? <laughs> Um, it's, it's actually interesting because there's not a lot to do. So, so yeah. we were just walking around, you know, and taking photos and, and again, like living in the moment, but it's, it's just staring at what's happening beneath you. 
So it it feels amazing again because you know that it's one of those precious moments that you only live once if you're like very 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 fortunate. Mm. So it's it just feels special. <laughs> and I want to show. I I'm very curious, and I like to show people because they're probably thinking the same. Like, how did you take that picture? <laughs> and that's probably one of the most craziest pictures I've ever seen. And <laughs> so basically, you have to picture a, a big like crater mm. that has uh, multi levels where you can layers, go. yeah, layers. Yeah. So we were standing on one of those layer, and yeah. then. Probably like a hundred and maybe a hundred meters down from us, yeah. there was the lava, like the volcano erupting. Wow. And so what you can see on that photo is the just the smoke uh, of the lava, of the, like the reflection Oof. of the lava in the night, and us just walking on our floor, more or less. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it's intense in the in the way that there's a lot happening all the time. Yeah. There's high winds, and then there's rocks falling. And then there's the heat and you cannot sit because there's like some tiny lava thing that's very stingy. So it's there's a lot of things going on at the same time and you really feel it that it's a rough env environment when you're like standing inside this. <laughs> that's crazy. How, how was it like being with Le Grand Gide around you? <laughs> like did it help? Did it make it easier to, <laughs> to be there? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like when we were with Mike, it's... Like it's very special human beings, and it makes it makes every moment special and easy as well because you know that you're with a friend. So yeah. <laughs> it's not like if you're by yourself. So it makes it like way different and enjoyable at every moment, more or less, because it's it's amazing to be with one of your friends doing that kind of stuff. That's pretty crazy, to be honest. Um, you talked about the skiing down mountains in the Antarctic. And I told you yesterday, aren't you afraid of like avalanches? Yeah. Like, does that happen or? Because you said about risk, that yeah. you, you manage risk. Yeah. So the main risk in Antarctica is not avalanches because there's not a lot of fresh snow since okay. it's so cold. It might snow, but it's like snowstorm. So there's not a lot of snow that stays on the on the ice layer. But the the crevasse crevasse is the is the most like dangerous thing that there is there because you could fall Be and die because you can fall and die, and also because it's basically mostly glaciers uh. like in the area w where we ski. There's it's like mountains and glaciers and then ocean. Uh. So we basically ski on glaciers all the time, which means crevasses. Uh. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's the most dangerous, but it's manageable, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're, uh, you're a crazy organized uh, <laughs> guy <laughs> that can say yes to crazy experiences, right? But who's able to manage the risk to avoid dying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, I love that we covered all these three extreme conditions that most humans would never or uh, probably never experience, right? And you've been in those environments that maybe in the future people are going to call like um, of the past because mm -hmm. it might, uh, everything might go extinct from polar bears to um, ice in the Arctic because maybe with 
global warming or I don't know what, mm-hmm. it will stop. So it is truly a blessing to have been able to experience yeah. those things before they they end. Um, I want to ask you about the animals. I'm interested in finding out like, what did, what did you learn from seeing polar bears or from seeing penguins, walruses or orcas or whales even? I, I saw the picture of the whale you took, insane. <laughs> What did they like? What does it teach you? Um, I think mostly that nature is amazing, and that if, <laughs> and that if you don't interrupt, it works <laughs> very, very, very well. Obviously, we've seen. It's funny because when we were in Antarctica, now it's the beginning of summer. Mm. So throughout the two weeks that we spend there, you see the animals slowly coming back to land uh-huh. to Antarctica. And you first see the tiny krills and then the the penguins and then the seals. But you know, you see that everything is linked and brings something else. So first the krills, then the penguins, then the seals, then the orcas comes. But it's just like very well made in a way. And it's so precious. It's crazy how, how well nature is made. It's a bit a bit crazy to the extent of how everything complements everything. Yeah. Do you think it's by accident or it's on purpose? <laughs> I think it's just evolution that made it that way. Okay. okay. <laughs> slowly and slowly and slowly. Do, do you not think like it's maybe a higher power? Because it's, it's too perfect to be that well made. I think that's like there's some higher power that we can that way because yeah. we don't yet understand it yeah. uh, but I think that yeah everything is just has been made the way it is now because of evolution mostly <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> it's a great answer um, okay so we, we've covered some, some of your most exciting adventures right and um, I want to go back I feel like going back to where it, it all started. So uh, where did the seed come from as a child of, okay, that's what I want to do? Um, so I didn't have it from the get-go, I think. I didn't really know what I, was, what I wanted to do first when I grew up. And it slowly like came uh, like experience after experience. But... I I grew up in a small town in Switzerland, in the Alps. So I spent a lot of time outside, obviously, playing and skiing and hiking because it's amazing nature in Switzerland. <laughs> and so, um, you know, my parents, they always told me, you can do anything you want, but just do it right. Mm. <laughs> and then you you won't have any trouble okay. from us. <laughs> <laughs> that's, so, a good, that's a good slogan for life. <laughs> yeah. So they were very supportive in a way to just like give me wings basically to help mm. me and do what I wanted to do. And when I like finished school, I started um, an apprenticeship, which is mm. basically learning a job in the company. So you have three days at work and then two days at school. And this was for four years. And I was introduced to photography and videos during that that job. And quickly I 
like it sticked with me because I really enjoyed the fact that you can capture a moment and then it lives on forever more or less you know or at least during your lifetime <laughs> you know you can get back to that moment whenever you want to um and I made a goal for me to just like capture amazing stuff that I can look back to anytime. Uh, so this slowly led me to those kind of crazy adventure over like, a lot of years. Uh, but I started, uh, as everybody, I think very slowly, you know, making videos for companies in my hometown, traveling, making photos for me. And then over the years, it helped me being better at this craft and then ultimately doing what I do now, which is still only the beginning. <laughs> yeah. And and how did it feel like when it moved from just a passion to, oh shit, I can actually make this my job? Yeah. So when did that moment happen? It really happened when I started working with Pat. That was my first, you know, real job, like monthly <laughs> job that I had. Uh, and it feels, I think, kind of strange because... A, a passion, I think, by definition, is something that you you love doing and mm. you do it for you your own pleasure, you know. Mm. And then when you transition to work, it's of course amazing, but you kind of lose that passion in a way because you don't do only what you want anymore. You have to do it for clients or you know, it's it's their project. It's not not really your project. Mm. So now, what's interesting is that. I think there's a way after some time to really mix those two things, but it just takes time, you know, if you want to still mm. like earn a bit of money and be able to live. But I think there's a way to really connect back your passion and your job mm. and make it as a whole, like something that you really love doing. Yeah. Because I think it's as in every job now, I cannot say I love doing like the 100% of stuff that I do. There's stuff that I love doing and then stuff that I don't really like doing. But it's a job now. But I think there's a, like in the coming years probably a good balance to, to find between passion and work to make it work together. That's a good answer because uh, all the kids that are lost think, oh shit, when I find that thing, it's that one thing alone that's going to uh, yeah. fulfill me 100%. Mm -hmm. But usually it, it's not... Always like it's okay, that's the thing alone, yeah, right? And uh, it's probably 80% that's gonna fulfill you. 10, 20% of it is like, eh, yeah, I would rather not do this, shit. <laughs> that's for sure. But in your book, you said something really powerful, which, which is nothing, nothing is more fulfilling than finding your calling and working towards it every step, uh, one step at a time. Mm -hmm. That's the goal. Yeah, and I think because also if you know where you, where you're going and you know why you're doing it, it helps also doing that like small percentage of stuff that you don't like doing because you you know what you're aiming at, so it makes it easier because you know that you have to do shitty stuff to <laughs> achieve that goal eventually. So it really helps, and I think it's probably the most important advice is that without passion, you, you give up pretty early, I mm. think, like an, at an early stage. Uh, so it helps staying like consistent, consistent and focused, yeah. Uh, there's a quote that says, um, if you love the destination, you're not going to go far, but if you love walking, 
then you can go no matter how how much you want. Because mm-hmm. like um, we were talking with Pat, brainstorming ideas as we usually do. And some of his uh, musician friends, Pat asked them, why did you start music? And they said, it's not because we wanted to be famous or because we wanted money or because we wanted recognition. No, it was because we inherently, intrinsically loved performing. Yeah, We loved getting on stage. We loved singing music. We loved it. And I think that's a perspective shift that needs to happen. Yeah. Because a lot of kids are like, his parents are like, especially in the Middle East, do this to get this, right? So I work as a doctor so you can impress my friends, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But if you do what you love, you're going to do it right eventually because it's yeah. what you love. You're not going to stop. Yeah, that's for sure. And I think actually achieving a goal is kind of sad because... <laughs> then what else? You know, I'm kind of afraid at some point that I achieve most of the thing I want to do because then you lose that drive in a way. So it, I think it's it's why it's very <laughs> important to when you reach a goal, then already have the next one in sight because otherwise, I think you get a bit lost, lost. in what you do. Yeah. Although if you, if it's your passion, then you're enjoying kind of the the journey, so you're not so. Caught up in, I want to be there, there, there. You're like, I enjoy being here. If I, like, I'm going to, it's like going up a stair staircase. Yeah. Right? You know you're going up. You just take it one step at a time. Yeah. Yeah, that's what you're trying to say. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. 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 Um, we covered adventures, but a lot of people don't know that you're also an entrepreneur, right? With, with wobs and everything. So yeah. talk to us a bit more about this. Is it also risk? <laughs> this? <laughs> Well, I think it's <laughs> it's risk for sure. It's more dangerous than crevasses <laughs> and, and polar bears. Uh, you know, it's it's very interesting as well because it's probably the most fulfilling part mm. to be able to build a small company that is still very small, but uh, and then have people joining the company yeah. and then having the right vibe to work together it's very very fulfilling because yeah. you can it's tangible you can really see what you're doing and how it grows so that's an amazing adventure as well that's <laughs> way different than the other ones uh but it's one that I really enjoy on the human level I think because you create links that are very very precious and you get to meet amazing people as well along the way it's cool that you said that Len because um, and I always start uh, mixing all the languages that I know (laughs) but because in adventures there's a lot of risks involved do you think these being able to just go out of your comfort zone and take these risks although they're managed has helped you in the entrepreneurial space yeah definitely because you get in the mindset where you don't, most of the times, overthink stuff before doing it. You know, yeah. you just go and then try to figure it out. <laughs> that's I think that's a lot how we move forward with Mark and the company. It's yeah. just like we aim for something without, especially with Pat. Yeah, especially <laughs> with Pat. We aim for something without thinking too much about it, and then if it's meant to happen, and if you put in the work and you find the solutions. Like ninety percent of the time, I think you can mm. reach that that aim. Um, so 
it definitely helped to not be afraid. Mm. And then I think what also it's important to mention because living in Switzerland and growing up with amazing parents, it's like if everything fails, then I can, you know, still live at my mom's <laughs> or my dad's and be, you know, pretty chill. <laughs> Just I have a roof, probably enough food. So I think that's important to mention as well is that it's, I'm very grateful and fortunate to be born in such a place because it's also, I think, easier to start mm. your own projects. You've, you've talked a lot about how your parents are so supportive. Um, most people don't have parents that are that supportive, right? Yeah. So you, but extremely lucky, yeah. right? Because yeah. but for example, if his mom wasn't as okay with him taking risks, he wouldn't have ended up a two-time Olympian. And you, if she wasn't okay with, okay, Chan is going to become an expedition filmmaker. If your mom was Lebanese, then she would have said, hey, you're becoming either a doctor or an engineer. <laughs> no, that's or, no, no. So uh, that's precious, bro. Yeah. That's so precious. Very. How do you feel like they influenced you as a person, your family? You know, it's... First, I think they are amazing examples because we... When when my when like I was born, it was pretty tough for them. You know, it was a family of three children. I have one big brother, one little sister, and they divorced right after my sister was born, and very low revenue. Uh, so even in Switzerland, you know, if you have a low revenue, it's pretty tough. Mm. And they always made their best so that we wouldn't feel it and that we would just, you know, grow mm. like everybody else. So that's, I think, the most amazing example because then when you grow up, you start realizing that kind of stuff. And just being resilient and consistent and, you know, just doing your best is, I think, a lot of values that they taught me through what they did, uh, which ultimately helps a lot to when you try to grow yourself <laughs> <laughs> i feel like that's that's so powerful what you just said because um we don't realize sometimes we forget how much our parents mm. do for us yeah right especially when you travel or you go away that's when you realize it the most Right, and you yeah. you've traveled a lot, so yeah. you've spent a lot of time alone. Because you get time to think about those those things as well, and it's, you know, I I try to, uh, like, practice being grateful when I first wake up in the morning, and I I list three things, and that's like a lot of the time at the, the top of the list because I'm so grateful because without them, then you you cannot do I couldn't do anything. <laughs> it's it is such a thing you need to be grateful for. Yeah, because it's better. No, when there's sun, you're not like, oh shit, I wish there's the sun. Yeah. When the when the the rain comes, you're like, oh shit, now I wish the sun <laughs> yeah. was here. So it's important that when you have the stuff, or when you have those people around you, or when you have the good things, to be grateful for them. Yeah. Right. Because we tend to just. Forget about them when we do. I think it's one of the toughest challenge for humans because you're very biased and you tend to forget what you have <laughs> most of the times <laughs> or you get used very, very easily. 
to what so, you have. To what you have, yeah. Uh, you've talked about reflections. You've had a lot of time in those situations where you're in the Arctic and the and, uh, Antarctic in the North Pole, where you're stuck in these crazy situations or you have nothing to do inside a crater of a vol volcano. It gives you a lot of time to reflect, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what do you reflect about? <laughs> um, so s most of the times, because when going to the Arctic or Antarctica, you're on a ship, I try to read because mm. it really helps me, you know, uh, first of all, learning new stuff. And then it channels your, your mind in a way so that you think about something that you want to think about. Uh, and then I mostly reflect about where I want to go, uh, what I want to do. And also I try to reflect a lot of uh, on being grateful and like, feeling good inside mm. because I think that's the starting base for everything you need uh, everything you want to do is first feel good and then you can do good but not the other way around I think <laughs> so, <laughs> that's why this podcast is called Rich Inside <laughs> we were you know what how it happened I haven't shared this because I, I just started the podcast so <laughs> it actually started we were a friend in the car and he's like bro it's so cool to have money in the outside and to I said yeah but it's more important to be rich inside. Yeah. So that's where, holy shit, yeah. clicked. Podcast name, <laughs> Rich Inside. <laughs> 100% agree. But don't yeah. you feel like, okay, so you talked about the positive reflections. Does sometimes the monkey mind <laughs> go oh. in those? <laughs> yeah, for sure. What uh, are the thoughts or what do you think or what happens? It's tough to say like this, but I think there's, being human, there's a lot of, Comparing yourself to others, that happens. Or, uh, you know, losing a bit of self-confidence because you do so. Uh, and that's probably the toughest part is that it's easy to look at anybody else and feel like he's doing more or he's more amazing or <laughs> blah, 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 or you should do more. And I think the the ultimate challenge is to accept uh, that you like you cannot do more than what you're doing most of the times if you're doing what you love so just accept that things takes take a lot of time to happen and i think that's what i learned during like with webs with my companies that things take time and you cannot rush it because when i was i don't know four years uh, younger now i wanted to rush everything mm. and i wanted to have everything super quick but life doesn't happen that way. Mm. <laughs> so uh, I think as soon as I realized it, it's, it makes life way easier as well because you accept uh, the process and, you, and the fact that you cannot really rush it. It's really cool you said that. The fact that you have to learn that things take time. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing about you is that you're so involved in nature right and through nature you can see in front of you that mm -hmm. things take time yeah do you feel like a lot of your life philosophy has come from being in nature and learning from what's been happening around you i think in a way it does yeah because it helps you for a lot of different things but also because i was fortunate enough to spend time 
with amazing people that I work with. I mean, Pat is a professional athlete. There's a lot going on. There's a, it, you need a crazy mindset <laughs> to achieve what he achieved and what he's currently achieving. And I think that's when I started working with Pat, that's when I really started being conscious about those things and starting, started being self-conscious because I was inspired by him and I could see it firsthand, you know, mm. what it takes to be fifth at the Olympics because I, I worked with him for two years before that. So you see the whole like process happening and see how you need to be focused. Um, and so spending time with people like him or Mike Horn that achieved crazy, crazy stuff like that I cannot even imagine, like think about, uh, helps you to then work on yourself and understand yourself and really learn a mindset that then allows you to do what you want to do in mm. the most efficient way. That's a pretty crazy answer. Like it's the people around you, how they affect you, yeah. whether that's directly or indirectly. Yeah, I think that's uh, it affects you uh, like to <laughs> an extent that we cannot even realize. It's super important to hang with people like you or Pat or <laughs> Mike because it's, it unlocks stuff in your brain that you wouldn't even think about otherwise if you were hanging with, I don't know, friends and having beers every every day. You know? <laughs> it's, it's different for sure and it opens your mind to a wider world, I would say. Yeah, that's pretty crazy because I was completely different before and I used to hang out the wrong people, super toxic people that used to smoke, drink and... It came a time where I realized like, okay, if I keep going with them, mm -hmm. five years along the line, where am I? Mm -hmm. And that was the awakening moment. I was yeah. like, fuck, no. Yeah. No, that's not where I want to be. So I stopped. I cut everyone off that I didn't aspire to be like. And you're right. It makes such a fucking difference. Mm -hmm. Like, huge. but having Pat around already, like you're going to work harder because <laughs> <laughs> sure. you can't stop working. <laughs> and sure. um, you, I feel like you're more calm, more <laughs> peaceful. <laughs> I, I, don't, I think it comes from uh, being in Switzerland and in nature and yeah. you've learned your stuff and you know that you're more, you're aware. Yeah. I you know think. that, okay, look, um, I might be doing a lot of stuff, but it's important also to appreciate. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I think that's a big thing in my like work life is that for example I most of the time I try not to work on the weekends even mm. though we have a shit ton of <laughs> no. work to do I'd rather work like 12 hours during the the week and then have my weekends because I think it's super important to be able to split a bit mm. I mean as much as you can uh your free time and work time because mm. free time is actually work time in a way where it's very beneficial and then it helps to reflect and think so that you can work more efficiently and more in the right direction so it's uh <laughs> i think right. it's a, a a good advice as well that i didn't understand at first i was working crazy not taking vacations <laughs> until <laughs> one point where it was just too much mm. and i felt it really bad mm. and then starting to started to learn to do this, but it's a long process. It, well it is a long process. It's a, a, a big change of habit, but then it's ultimately it's very 
beneficial for sure. Now, because you love adventures, right? And you want to, you consider yourself an expedition filmmaker. So I would say National Geographics, you would be lucky to have it. <laughs> Hopefully one day. <laughs> would, would it be something you would be interested in? I mean, just so starting to aim more for short documentaries or yeah. or like even long documentaries, you know, is what I'm trying to do now because you get to tell amazing stories. Mm. Now I'm more used, of, used to doing like short videos or five mm. to ten minutes videos, but it's kind of restricted in a way. And yeah. you want to, uh, to like tell more. So I think going for that kind of documentaries would really fulfill me in an even bigger way because <laughs> <laughs> you can do crazy stuff and there's so much to do. You want to you wanna post something uh, or release something on Netflix one day? I would I, see you actually releasing something. I'm not saying that's maybe. just to say, uh, genuinely. I wouldn't say it's a, a goal of mine. Uh, I feel like if the story is good enough, it might mm. happen like by itself, more or less. Yeah. So I'd rather focus on telling amazing stories with amazing people and unique tribes or stuff like this. And then if it happens, it's the cherry on the cake. <laughs> okay, okay. So what would be... Because you said you want to make a small doc, right? So what would be that... Throw crazy ideas. What would you want to do? I love the fact uh, of maybe meeting with tribes and documenting their uh -huh. their way of life because I think that they will tend to disappear slowly because that's the direction in which we go, sadly. So it would be very precious as an experience and as a piece of content to have as well because then again, it lasts forever. And it's, if it disappears one day, then you want to have a... a like archive or mm. this of this and um, I feel like they they live such in such a special way and different way than we do that I would really enjoy I don't know Mongolia is one idea or with the Inuits in uh, the Arctic uh, there's some in Philippines Indonesia as well that are left so Doing that kind of stuff, hopefully one day. I'm so trying tribes. to organize. Yeah, I'm trying to organize the first one in Mongolia, but it's it's you know hard to mm. reach the right people to really organize it. So we'll see. No rush. I'm sure <laughs> you're gonna make it happen. <laughs> um, I I love this mindset because I I see you're always aiming bigger and bigger and bigger. But what makes it so makes you so powerful is that you're able to appreciate the in betweens. Mm -hmm. And that's because if you just enjoy it for that bit when you achieve the thing, then what's the point of all the yeah the things in between, right? The journey. And I think that's that's also why you wouldn't last for too long is if you don't enjoy what's in between, then you kind of burn yourself. You burn out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. It is a fact. Um, I have one final question. Uh, who's one adventurer? Because you've collabed with uh, Mike Horn, legendary expeditioner, Le Grand Gide, famous expeditioner YouTuber, but crazy Olympic guy, <laughs> um, Olympic snowboarder. Who would be your dream to collab with <laughs> next? Well, 
Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I put you on the spot. <laughs> Tough question. Fuad Bustani. No, I think uh, I don't have a, a name to say, but in like the, I would say s a big, you know, athlete. Okay. I just love the fact that professional athletes that, that are the best at what they do, I just love the effort that it takes. That it take, uh. that it took them to go there, and they have amazing life stories to share. And I think like if more of these top athletes would share those kind of stories, then it would really help a lot of people around the world. That's so true. I saw um, I saw a Netflix documentaries on, for example, Neymar chaos yeah, yeah. and his life, how crazy it is, and then you see Zidane and his crazy story. And um, there was one recent one forgot the name, but uh, it's insane to see the behind the scenes of those athletes because mm -hmm. you only see the highlights, yeah, right? That's you see the good stuff, but you don't see the in injuries. You don't yeah. see the, the hardships. You don't see what the media does to them. The one was Beckham. Ah, yeah. Beckham, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Mac. Yeah, yeah. Insane. Yeah. Bro, that's insane. His dad, since he was young, they, sh they shared his story and you're like, that's crazy, man. His dad was a crazy United fan and he got recruited and he became the best legendary athlete of the century yeah no it's crazy because you you don't realize it until somebody tells the story so that's what i like about it okay um so we're gonna finish this off but we before we finish i want to share something about you um you were behind the scenes behind the camera right for i don't know how many years five six seven yeah And if you want, you could make the announcement now that you're going to be, be in front of the camera when we start releasing the content uh, we've made. Is it something you want to do? How? How? <laughs> no, just, just say it. Like, is it... Because um, you've been behind the cam, right? Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. And now we're going to release the new content. Ah, so you're going to yeah, be in yeah, front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, got it. So you could just say it if you want. Yeah. So we are launching a multi-episode series okay. with the help of Adi <laughs> on... Uh, my past adventures and hopefully future adventures. Yeah. Uh, and it's going to be amazing. It's going to be epic. I just <laughs> thank, you to for, thank you for your help. <laughs> I know I, I didn't do it to, I didn't do it for you to, to tell me. I just wanted to you to, because uh, it's cool that we've shared in this podcast the you behind the cam. Yeah. How, how was your experience then? But now you're going to be able to share in front of the camera you as the creator. Yeah. So, Uh, I wanted to leave room for you to be able to make the announcement because it's coming soon. So uh, stay tuned. There's a lot of crazy episodes that Etienne is going to launch on his page. Um, there's multiple episodes. It's actually like a small series. Yeah. Right? Uh, episode one, I think, is Surviving 24 Hours. Uh, We haven't set it up no. exactly. We'll see. We'll but see. There's the episodes ready. We have a the order we need, to, <laughs> we need to fix. But uh, stay tuned because it's pretty insane. Like Etienne today talked a bit more in depth about the stories. But if you really see the key moments, the, the crazy emotion that went into it, you would be pretty surprised at how much it took 
to survive 24 hours inside an active volcano or to uh, be stuck in the Arctic for 33 days and what it took to keep going day by day. So, and shooting a sleeping polar bear, that's another episode. Uh, and it explains the story behind it of how it happened. So stay tuned. Uh, follow Etienne on all his socials. Uh, it's all Etienne Clare, right? Yeah. So you can check him out Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. Uh, I'm going to say this, and I've probably said it to you before, but my gut feeling tells me that you're going to be a big, big, big uh, expedition creator, <laughs> like an adventure creator like on social media because genuinely I feel like you're one of the most nice, likable person I've ever met. No, Anjad. Anjad. I'm talking in Arabic again. <laughs> but it's, it's genuinely true. We were talking, me and Pat, yesterday about you. And I said, um, what is it about a Chen that I don't know? And he said he's one of the most transparent, most humble, most down-to-earth persons. And I agree. And I think that… Thank you. Um, so many people would resonate and love and fuck with you. <laughs> no, genuinely. Like, because you're a sick human. And Thanks, Eddie. Likewise. Much Likewise. love. <laughs> and thank you so much for being part of this. This was episode two. Thank you for being part of it. And uh, stick around for episode three. Much love and rich inside to the moon. <laughs>